So it sounds like one of the key elements is, is more of a sense of accountability, this thing about registering your pet and as part of that getting spayed and neutered. I mean, in a lot of places, neither thing would happen, so there'd be all kinds of scenarios that would unfold, most of which would then just add to the uh, pet overpopulation. Yeah, and I think in all the states where you've, not all the states, but a lot of the states where you've got major problems with overpopulation, yeah, you've also got a very transient population of people. Yeah. Um, they come and they go, they rent, um, so they get a puppy, they have to move, the new apartment doesn't allow dogs, they just turn the puppy into animal care and control, or worse, they let it go in some place like the Everglades or the Redlands. Yeah. And so when you bought that facility you just mentioned, the cat shelter, I guess, was the first one yeah. in 2015. Was that kind of, in some ways, did that echo have any kind of echo of, of opening Darbs through the restaurant? I mean, it seemed like, I mean, you had been involved in, in rescue and adoption for some time, but it was like, okay, well, to take this to the next level... We really need a facility of our own, so let's buy one and, and get it happening. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's the same. You've got to get licensed. You've got to build out a facility. You've got to hire people. So with Darbster Kitty and Darbster Dog, I guess we were fortunate in the respect that a lot of the business aspects of it, we didn't have to learn again. You know, yeah. we already knew how to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, but there- each place comes with its own... It's one unique set of challenges. <laughs> For sure. But also, I yeah. guess what I like, because it seems like you guys have been undeterred by it, is that there's a certain sort of can-do attitude. It's like, okay, we don't really have much experience in this, but we've got experience in this, this, and this. So we'll figure it out and we'll make it work. So whether that's the restaurant or a, an animal shelter of your own or whatever, it just seems like there is that spirit of like, here's the situation, here's how we can solve it. might take us a while, there might be some, you know, exploration and, and again, and a bit of a learning curve, but we're going to get there. And there's a, yeah. a kind of underlying confidence that seems like has propelled you. Confidence or, <laughs> or naiveness. <laughs> yeah, or both, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, I don't, I don't have kids of my own, but I think it's kind of like having kids. If anybody really thought that much about it, they'd probably never have them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, again, this is Talking Animals of Duncan's Trust. My guest is uh, Ellen Quinlan, Executive Director of the Darbshire Foundation slash Darbshire Rescue, which, uh, see, I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get caught up here, um, which helps move cats and dogs from overcrowded shelters in South Florida, finding homes for them in the adoption-friendly New England area. And we did talk about earlier, there is a uh, vegan restaurant that was part of the story and still is. And again, we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885. Just briefly to go back to the restaurant for one sec, because one of our emailers wondered if you've, what kind of problems, if any, you've had with COVID uh, sort of craziness at, at the restaurant and, you know, anti-mask uh, types, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we've been like, actually, we, we can't complain about COVID at all. We, you know, we had to shut down in terms of indoor dining from March 20th, I think it was, mm-hmm. through the end of June back in 2020. But it was almost a, a good thing in the sense that we had never had a great takeout business. And all of a sudden, the takeout business just kind of, you know, went through the roof. Yeah. So our numbers for 2020 were actually equal to our numbers in 2019, which we were wow. kind of shocked with. Yeah. 
Um, the other fortunate thing we had is, um, as I mentioned earlier, half of our seating is outside. Yeah. And the other half is inside. So when things did reopen, I think people felt more comfortable coming to an outdoor restaurant. Sure. Um, just because of airflow and stuff. So, you know, it's had certain challenges, but it, it really hasn't been awful for us. We really can't complain. That's great. And, and more recently, when people come, do they all gravitate towards outdoor seating, or do some say, hey, uh, I got a mask, at least for some of the time, I'm going to sit inside and I'll be fine there? Most people just prefer to sit outside, Yeah, being in South Florida. So for sure. Yeah. The outside tables are always full before the inside tables. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, so that uh, addresses that emailer's question. But um, so back to the animals and how that works. So let's sort of walk me through either with just like uh, maybe there's a specific animal that comes to mind or just generally how this would work. But let's say, okay, so uh, one of the shelters in South Florida is super crowded and there's dog, Ralph the dog, and uh, he seems like he could find a good home in part of your uh, New England uh, operation. So tell me how that works in terms of like either uh, organizations, rescue or otherwise that you work with, and especially how transportation works. I mean, walk me through how, how Ralph gets from out, out of that crowded shelter in South Florida to uh, like sort of, I guess, an interim space in somewhere in New England and then hopefully yeah. to a home. Adopted. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we, we work with, we, we, we work with selective shelters, and the reason why is there's so much paperwork involved in it that we need to work with shelters that we know are going to be able to vet the animals to the point where they need to vet them to get them on transport. Okay. Um, they have to have certain shots, and they need to be fixed. Um, so Palm Beach Animal Care and Control is one of the shelters that we've worked with in the past. Um, so we will pick a date. We typically send ground transportation every other week, and we do um, a flight with just cats on the in-between weeks. So we'll pick a date, you know, that Palm Beach County Animal Control is going to go. And then in, if it's Palm Beach County or Broward County, I'll go there, or one of the volunteers will go there, and we'll see who what they have for dogs. Um, and typically we're looking for adoptable animals. So we don't care what they look like. We don't care how old they are. Uh, what we care about is that they're people-friendly and ideally they're dog-friendly as well. Um, and then we'll look at how long they've been there. Um, and we'll try to take the ones that have been there for longer periods mm -hmm. of time than the yeah. ones that just got there. Sure. Um, so one comes to mind. There was a dog there just about a year ago, Susie. Um, and she's a cute little square head. Mm -hmm. uh, brown and white, and she had been good with, in play groups with other dogs. She was great with people, um, and she kind of started declining in the kennel because she had been there for so long that she was getting, you know, very worked up. Yeah. So they put a um, a rescue request out, which basically means they're giving the dog X number of time days to get out of there, or they're going to euthanize her. Uh, okay. So we went and saw her. She was great with you know, us with people, she was starting to get a little reactive towards other dogs, but we figured if we got her out of there and up to New Hampshire, you know, That'd we could get okay. her adopted pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. So we took her on the transport, you know, with another 10 dogs that we took from there. Um, and once we got her up there, she was probably adopted within a week. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. A great. Young couple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you say the transport, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ellen. Sorry. No, they, the, the young couple was great. They actually came back 
about eight months later and adopted a second dog. Oh, great. Now we're talking. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so when you say the transportation is going uh, like through Palm Beach Animal Control, so is this a Darbster transportation or is this a transportation that's going anyways that you then are sort of getting to know some of those animals that are about to be transported and finding like the next Susie, for example? No, it's actually our transport. Okay. So we yeah. have a big trailer um, that is Darbster's. So, you know, we, we transport all of our own animals on our own vehicles. Okay, great. And then how, how does the flight work? That's, uh, those cats have got a, got a good thing going on in all kinds of ways. First of all, they're probably going to end up adopted. And meanwhile, they're, they're flying at least coach, I guess, to get there. They're flying cargo. Okay, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but but <laughs> it's not uh, that nice. But uh, but, but are these commercial flights that you guys have just made some kind of arrangement with, or how does that actually uh, work? Yeah, they're commercial flights out of Miami, um, and so we go to American Airlines cargo in Miami, and they, they're in crates. They're in their cat crates. Um, in the cargo holds are climate controls. Yeah. So they're go into the cargo hold, and they fly them on up to Boston. We pick them up and drive them to our facility in New Hampshire, and that's where they get adopted out of. That's great. And is the thinking there that the cats, um, the actual ground transportation would just be sort of too hard on them as opposed to the dogs? Is that why the cats, the cats are flying? The cats do go on ground with okay. the dogs okay. every other week. Okay. The weeks in between, uh, there's a lot more demand for cats or I guess you'd say there's a lot more demand for cats. Like last year, we sent up about 2,500 cats and about 600 dogs. Wow. So, well, more people want cats. They're easier to take care of. Sure. It's, it's just it's a more common pet, I think. Yeah. No, I'm just thinking, meanwhile, there's there's three 3,000 animals that, because of this, ended up with homes that might not otherwise. So... That's as much why yeah. I was saying wow as anything, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And so what dogs tend to be most readily adopted? Are there, are there certain breeds or things that you found like, well, these these seem to really be responded to? Um, you know, small dogs, people want small dogs, and there's not, in Florida, there's not a lot of small dogs that are homeless. Um, if a small dog ends up at a shelter, a lot of local rescues will take the small dog and find it a home. Mm. So they always go quick. Yeah. Um, in terms of the big dogs, it's really it's really personality. As long as you can get the people into the shelter to meet the dog. Um, so you know, of course, if it's a golden retriever, which we don't get any golden retrievers. Yeah. Had <laughs> a golden retriever and a pit bull, and they have the same personality. Well, the golden retriever is going to get adopted first. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of it is personality. A lot of people in the Northeast um, really will give a dog a chance. They they're not as caught up in the aesthetics as sometimes I think I see down here. Oh, that's interesting because uh, you mentioned that Susie was a square head and it sounds like, you know, there's more than a few square heads, you know, in any kind of shelter situation that need homes. So what do square heads mean to you kind of more personally? I mean, I think they tend to be kind of misunderstood and, and of course, have gotten, I, I think, at least a bit of a bum rap. Um, Definitely, yeah. But, but it sounds like you're saying that, at least up north, there isn't as much of maybe a, a bias against them as there may be in other areas. I, you know, I don't run adoption centers in other areas, so maybe I, I, maybe I can't say that. But what I do see when I'm up there yeah. is out of 10 people that walk into the dog adoption place looking for a dog, Mm-hmm. 
probably seven of them are willing to look at any dog we have. Wow. We are going to have a few that are going to be like, well, I don't want one of those pit bulls. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get some people, and I don't know if they really don't want one of those pit bulls or insurance is a real problem, but they may say that, you know, they can't because of their homeowner's insurance or their homeowner's association. Um, but we do see, a, I, I do see more people willing to to meet them and look at them, especially younger people. Yeah. And, uh, and it sounds like really, yeah, there is more openness to, uh, across breeds really. And it sounds like really the only thing that might keep someone more explicitly from considering a, a pit bull or a square head or whatever would be if they do live in an area or an apartment complex or somewhere where they, where they just really can't do it legally or yeah. by some sort of regulation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And we really don't know what any of these dogs are. I mean, we don't run yeah. DNA tests. I mean, we can guess, but right. you know, we don't we don't really know. Yeah, well that's the thing. Part of it is that uh you really can't tell and and that's why the this bias that does seem to exist a lot of times is is extra unfortunate because dogs can look a certain way and suggest a certain kind of thing where some people have a, a bias against them, but they can look just like a yellow lab and have as much, you know, pit or square head in them as, as something more overtly that. And then you think, yeah. well, what, what, have, what have you figured out here? Really? Nothing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So here's, yeah. The, we're sort of nearing the end of our time here, Ellen, but let me get one last uh, email in. Uh, this one says, um, we need people like her and her organization in Tampa. I trap for St. Francis Rescue. We end up with adults and many kittens. Right now I have six kittens that were trapped three days ago. Four are adoptable in a couple of weeks. Two need a little more socializing. The problem is finding homes here. So, um, once again, it's kind of that that sort of uh, abundance of, of animals that you guys have addressed in South Florida that, that of course, very much exists here. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, somebody, I don't know of anybody that's running transports out of Tampa, but I'm sure there, there are people yeah. doing that, especially maybe the bigger municipal shelters. Um, so if I were that woman, I would probably try to contact them because um, that's that's really the key to getting these guys adopted. I mean, we had a during COVID, we had a six week waiting list for people that wanted um, cats and kittens. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't get them up here fast up there fast enough. Yeah. Again, it's just such a remarkable contrast. As I guess, kind of, we've been talking about pretty much the bulk of this conversation, but uh, but it's certainly working out great. And like like when you said earlier that you had twenty five hundred cats and six hundred dogs uh, uh, adopted last year, I thought, well, that that is great. That is those are great numbers. And um, and if there hadn't been the darbs are kind of juggernaut in operation. You know, who knows what uh, fate might have befallen some of those animals. So anyway. Yeah. So, Ellen, thank you so much for joining us. We're with Ellen Quillen of Darbster Foundation, Darbster Rescue, including Darbster Kitty, Darbster Doggy, Darbster Rescue. I already said rescue. I hardly yeah. keep track. But anyways, you could check out stuff online at darbsterfoundation.com or just simply darbster.com. And, of course, they have a social media presence. You can just search uh, Darbster and come up with some of those pages. So, so, Ellen, thank you so much for all your great work. Thank you for joining us today on Talking Animals. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. for having us. You bet. Thank I you. I appreciate it. All right. Thank all you. All right. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll speak with H.H. German, the writer-creator of Calico, what may be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse. He's about to unveil issue number four in the eight-issue series, so I thought it was a good time to check in with H.H. about Calico. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with uh, Eddie 
Pepitone, a favorite of mine, as is his canine therapist, Charlotte. Here's a piece called Dog Therapy by Eddie Pepitone in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. But I've turned my dog, I've turned my dog into my shrink. I'm talking to her now as if she was my shrink because I'm bored to tears with my real shrink. You know what I mean? We understand each other. I'm there to fill an hour. She gets some insurance money, whatever it is. But, but now I talk to my dog like she's my shrink. I, I'm, I'm saying to her like, Charlotte, you don't think I have diabetes, do you? would be here already, right? <laughs> Charlotte? It's not too bad that I threaten people anonymously online, is it? Charlotte, I have enough money in my bank account, right? By the way, if Charlotte knew how much money I have in my bank account. Instead of running and chasing balls, she'd just be in the apartment smoking for cigarettes. She'd just be like going, great. I thought I landed on my feet here. <laughs> that was Eddie Pepitone in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Dog Therapy, taken from his TV appearance in Ruins. Now it's time to speak with H.H. German about what may be the first comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse. That would be Calico. Here's H.H. Sherman on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, H.H. Good morning, Duncan. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, absolutely. So let's do a bit of review. We talked just not quite a year ago. So remind me a little bit about your background in the comic book world. What prompted the idea of a comic book hero dedicated to fighting animal abuse? And what was the impetus for Calico in particular? Sure. Well, I'm a Bronx, New Yorker. I grew up uh, in the mean streets uh, back in the 70s and 80s. Okay. And, uh, you know, the topic of bullying was a sort of pretty prevalent thing out there on the street. And uh, just not a big fan of bullies. And comics were a big part of my uh, American story. My, my folks are from the Dominican Republic, emigrated in the 60s. And uh, really, uh, were you know, I was really drawn to them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they really represented this ideal that you could sort of find a way to look within yourself and, and be ultimately a hero and, and uh, turn the tables against bullies. Yeah. There's no, um, there's no uh, better example in life uh, in bu uh, of bullying when it's humans versus animals, because you got to understand, you know, when we uh, we pick up you know, and, and hit, you know, when you're in school, you hit a kid, they're pretty much around your same size or maybe slightly bigger or smaller. Yeah. An animal, I mean, a little dog or a cat. I mean, you're, you're a giant. Imagine a giant picking you up and, and beating on you. It's, yeah. It's ridiculous. No, it's pretty rough. Right. So yeah. th this makes uh, great sense. When, when you were sort of pondering this and, and getting ready to, to sort of conceive and launch uh, Here Comes Calico, was there any 
discussion or even debate amongst like friends or colleagues or even yourself internally about creating uh, a hero that fights animal abuse or are you just so sure because of the bullying thing like hey this is the way to go this is this is kind of what's needed here in the comic world right right it's a good question uh you know it was debated very nominally uh, in fact, the, the main consideration was if we were going to go real or we were just going to sugarcoat around this. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much what everyone else does uh, yeah. with this topic. You know, uh, you know, animal abuse isn't fairies and butterflies and everything's nice and sweet. It, it's, it's serious. It's a very serious hardcore issue. And that's frankly why we decided to, you know, make this a, a 17 plus, you know, adults uh, rated a comic book. Yeah. So we're not pulling any punches. That's my answer. For sure. For sure. So we did speak, as I mentioned earlier, about a year ago when you were first launching the series. You're now on the cusp of publishing issue number four. That's sort of the halfway mark of the uh, the eight issue series. So how would you say it's going so far? What has been the response to uh, to Calico? It's incredible. I mean, uh, we, we knew right out the gate that uh, there were two audiences for this. One, it was the you know hardcore comic book lover. Mm-hmm. And two, the you know animal lovers. And frankly, the latter has just really uh, embraced our series. Uh, It's one thing being able to, you know, sort of digest this topic in the usual sources. But from a comic book, you know, uh, we all read comic books as kids. And, you know, that's changed uh, in today's climate because there's so much, so many different stimuli out there to, to capture your entertainment attention. For sure. So uh, getting it in a comic book, you know, Netflix is, you know, 10, 12 bucks. I guess it's up to 15 now, depending on what you get, but, uh, or Amazon, or however you get your content. But, you know, for literally $1.99 or $2.99, uh, uh, you know, digital versus print on our website, a couple of bucks, you're able to support a wonderful cause, and that's fighting against animal abuse through comics, which is yeah. something everybody loves. For sure. Well, we're sort of probably just nearing the end of our time, HH, but where is a website to, that you could direct people to to indeed pursue their own uh, copy or copies of Here Comes Calico? Great. So sigmacomics.com, that's S-I-G-M-A, comics.com, mm-hmm. is where you can get one to three right now. But if you want the latest issue and you can get the whole series, we'd really appreciate it if you can go to Kickstarter, just kickstarter.com, and type in Sigma Comics, and you'll see our latest issue, which is issue four. It's hot off the press for pre-order. And there you could order that issue in the whole series for a really low price. And again, you'll be supporting our fight against animal abuse. Yeah. Let me just tell you, every single person in this audience, stop what you're doing and go to kickstarter.com and get Sigma Comics. Get that series because you're really going to love it. Everybody who's reading, who's hearing you right now, you guys love animals and you're going to love this series. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the place to go. And uh, and again, uh, I've seen uh, some of the uh, earlier issues. They've been fantastic and so well done. So, uh, HH, thank you so much for joining us on Talking Animals. And thanks for uh, creating Here Comes Calico. And uh, we'll hope that people will dive in and get those issues and support the crowdfunding effort as well. Absolutely. Duncan, thanks for having us on again. We look forward to talking to you in the future. And happy holidays and happy new year. Same to you, man. Thanks, HH. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott with his year-end wrap-up, which, of course, is going to be fantastic, as always. And uh, then another three hours of music by Robin Hooper after that. And we just keep the music coming as we roll in our block of Latin programming and beyond. Also, an important heads-up for Friday. Mark your calendar. 
the great Jeff Stewart returns to the airwaves, subbing for Reverend Billy on the Rhythm Revival. Again, that's this Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Cannot wait. Uh, and uh, if you ever liked or listened to uh, Jeff Stewart, which, again, he was a fixture here for some 35 years and uh, stepped stepped away uh, a few months ago. So, anyways, be sure to catch that again this Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. here on WMNF. And uh, that's going to probably wrap up our edition of the show for today. I hope you'll join me next Wednesday for another edition show when I'll talk with two PhDs who conducted a really interesting study at FAU about how robotic pet cats can affect and help patients with Alzheimer's or similar dementia. So looking forward to that. And I also invite you to uh, not only tune in, but to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast and um, also links to our social media pages etc so it's talkinganimals.net and this is WMNF Tampa Brandon Largo Wiki Watch and Beyond NPR News Headlines followed by Scott Elliott thanks